Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. I must say that when I was given the title How to Preach When You Haven't Got Anything to Say, I assumed that the organisers thought I was a good example of someone in that particular condition. And uh, in this post-lunch slump slot, I feel I'm going to prove them absolutely right. However, I'll give it a go. And as Quentin Crisp always used to say, if at first you don't succeed, failure may be your style. So, well, I miss Ken Dodd, uh, well known for the hours he spent on stage, keeping the audience pinned to their seats with one-liners, such as, Have you heard about the Scarecrow who won an award for being outstanding in his field? And, oh yes, madam, I can see the future. You see, I'm a medium. At least that's what it says so in my knickers. And my favourite, did any of us in our wildest dreams ever think we'd live long enough to see the end of the DFS sale? He was well known, of course, Ken Dodd, for his tickling stick. And I guess that many of us approach our preaching in the hope that the sermon will do some tickling. Tickle the mind, the heart, with the gospel. Tickling the soul to wake it up. Tickling us into some life, prayer, action. Hoping that your sermons aren't quite as long as a Ken Dodd routine, Nevertheless, it's nice to imagine that we can burst open the joy and hope of the gospel for our listeners in a way that similarly leaves them wanting more. Okay, well, I'm sure like me, you do that every Sunday. But what happens when we're in the wings, as it were, and feel we have nothing to give? What happens when we sit down in front of the screen and can't find the first line. What happens when you keep writing cliche after cliche and see that it, whilst desperately trying to be relevant, is still adding up to nothing resonant? What happens when in the middle of the sermon, you're tempted to do what the poet A.R. Ammons did at one of his poetry readings and stop, look up and say, you can't possibly be enjoying this. What happens when we go home and feel that our sermon was totally inconsequential? That's a very painful thought, actually, because at the end of the day, we often think that a sermon is there to somehow make the gospel credible to the world. But actually, its real job is to make the world credible to the gospel, to help transform us into a society, into a world that the gospel recognises as humanity, fully alive, relating well to itself, to its God, to each other, with compassion, with justice. And if a sermon is a pancake, fat maybe with basic ingredients, but flat when served and feeding nobody for very long, then we feel we're failing our call to alert people, 
to those moments of mysterious intrusion in this life that make us want to follow Jesus Christ and be changed. Now, I don't want to be Eeyore and uh, rehearse in detail all the reasons externally that might be making us feel a bit empty at the moment. We know that COVID is both a virus and an X-ray. It creates fear and it sees our fractures, where we're broken, where we need repair. As a spiritual director to people who preach, I've heard a few things recently that ring true for me as well. Some have felt that their spiritual lives have taken a dive into nowhere. Some have felt that the dialogical in their ministry and lives has simmered down into screenshots and that pulse of human encounter that gave life to your words when they came to be written, well, it's gone. Some have felt that the pressure to be good at things they aren't, social media, crisis management, urgent finance, and so on, these have knocked their confidence even at the things they once enjoyed, like preaching. And then there's the world with its volatile leaders. This general sense of dismantling at the moment from democracy to the environment, making us overwhelmed, precarious, literally at a loss for words, at a time when we really do need to find them to counter the current climate, where, as has been said before, if you're not at the table, you're probably on the menu. Preachers are there to expose illusions, but without leaving us disillusioned. But what happens when we are disillusioned? I think there is a disillusionment in some, uh, for instance, about the church as organisation, a worry that it's lost public credibility, not on the map, for the spiritually serious. That strange irony where a spiritually hungry society is finding the church to be too secular, too compromised, and at worst, shallow. This leads to a lot less patience with church politics, whether that's trying to get noticed by the bishop or being patient with the parishioner who terrorizes every PCC. We try to be people of unity, a please machine, but it can feel the cost is we fail to be people of integrity. The mask eats into the face. We become experts at middle distant relating. Intimacy and families can suffer as a consequence. And we become one of those burnt out, jaundiced clergy or lay leaders we said we would never be. All our imprisoned disappointments burning like a poison in the soul and making us worry that even if we did write the sermon we wanted to, we might not want to take full responsibility for what would come out. I won't go on. As you can see, I have a great ministry of encouragement. But as I have now proved to you that I am a veritable peach in the orchard of hope and delight, let me try and give one or two thoughts for you to take further in your own time. 
The first thing to say is that sometimes not having the words to say anything can be a very good thing. It is in itself communicating something important, perhaps. I don't need to tell you that we should be reticent to speak of God. God is not the object of our knowledge, but the cause of our wonder. And to speak of God's mystery, holiness and life should make us all fall on our verbal knees in humility. So as Ignatius taught, a bishop is never more like God than when silent. It's from silence that true and trustworthy words must come. Likewise, as preachers, we need to get beyond the things that we're good at. The things, the words, the arguments that have become too easy, too pat, too lettuce limp, perhaps, and become again explorers, listeners, navigators. The sermon can be a bit like a diving bell. It can take us down into that mysterious ocean of God. But we're in it too, learning, even as we hold the compass of descent. At the end of the day, nothing poisons truth so quickly as an assurance that one has found it. That's why I believe a good sermon is not ultimately about information, but formation. It's not a river of argument we have to follow to get to the end. It should be a fountain from which people can draw. And that means it can be unsystematic, creative, poetic, as open-ended as the parable preaching of Jesus. St. Ambrose taught that it did not suit God to save his people through logic. We might just be seeking the words as springboards to something better. They're not to be perfect in themselves. And if they're not coming easily, they may be stalling as something a bit more truthful is trying to be born. But also to feel you have no quick and easy words at the moment has another benefit. We need slower conversation at the moment. Everything is so quickly clarified into polarised, globalised debate. Got an opinion? Ping it off. Someone said that Facebook is where you lie to your friends and Twitter is where you tell the truth to strangers. Whatever. We need slower thinking. We need wisdom more than facts. We need a reverence for words that build and construct rather than those of our current tribal narcissism that seek to injure and berate. David Brooks, in his book, The Road to Character, reminds us all that there are two Adams in us all. The first is concerned with our CV virtues, creating, producing, ambitious, status-orientated, wanting to win victories. The second Adam in us is focused on our eulogy virtues, what we want said at our funeral. These are moral qualities, character, a sense of right and wrong, a cohesive inner soul, a good relator, and so on. 
Adam 1 will often call out for your words, but Adam 2 makes you stop and think again. To be reticent might be to warn yourself and your voice not to be coloured by this world's insanity. So to attend to the inner break in you may be a very holy thing. Are you about to speak from a rooted, godly, gospel place? Or have you replaced the soul with the self? Are you just flinging in a bit more angry and purposeless crap into the mounting chaos? If you can't find the words straight away, well, good. Perhaps God is waiting for you to get on side first, to put the odd back into God. Rowan Williams has said that vocation has to do with saving your soul, not by acquiring a secure position of holiness, but by learning to shed the unreality that suffocates the very life of your soul. So vocation, he says, is what's left when all the games have stopped. And that's true for the preacher and her vocation. Okay, so what if we know this and are seeking to be listening preachers, distilling less verbose but with more meaning? What if we still feel paralysed? Well, whilst it's good to preach from your scars than your wounds, better to preach from your scars than from your wounds, don't bleed over your listeners and make it all a sermon about you, there are ways in which you can be honest and express something of what is making you lost for words. They'll understand more than you ever think. But you're there to bring gospel hope too, not false hope, but gospel suffering, realist hope. So what I do in dark times is to recall that I am part of a wonderful storyhood. I am part of, I'm shaped by, I am in communion with others who are part of and shaped by the story of Jesus Christ. And to return to that story, to see its questioning more than its answering, and to voice these more than trite, bumper-sticker theological jargon, this brings our storyhood back into being, and for me anyway, ignites the flame again. It's a story that makes me hungry for God. And as St. Augustine reminds us, the whole life of a good Christian is holy longing. Through longing, he said, God extends the soul. By extending it, he makes room in it. We are, he says, to be exercised by longing. It's the longing, not certainty, that I believe resonates. And therefore, we must give it voice and be honest about where our longing lies. Maya Angelou, may she rest in peace, reminded us that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story in you. It seems that the gospel has two longings deep within it, to love God and to love your neighbour. 
At the end of the day, then, it seems to me our Christian faith is at heart two things, a loving search and a searching love. A search for God, for the soul, for justice, for relationship, for life in Christ, and a love that is searching, able to see where the hurt is, where the need lies, where dignity needs to be unearthed and brought to breathe. Something always goes wrong in religion if we lose sight of the search or of the love. If we think we possess God, we lose our desire and the pulse of faith weakens into something unattractive. Fundamentalism is to Christianity what paint by numbers is to art. Or if we forget that the only analogy worth pursuing for God is that of love, then we miss the point again. If it's not about love, it's not about God. So, lost for words? Then think about love. Immerse yourself in its mystery. And glimpses of God will come, fresh, beautiful, and, oh, necessary. Finally, if you don't feel you have much to say, attend to what is at work in you, willing you not to fall back on a language that now may be failing you, and wait for the authentic. If it's God that seems distant, then remember it is only God's silence and invisibility that protects God from our idolatry and selfish projection. Only love will call you back to the right words. It might be time for that retreat or for that chat with the spiritual director to start a new chapter as a preacher. In the meantime, I leave you with the words of the poet John O'Donoghue, who might help us in this poised place we're in. This is the time to be slow. Lie low to the wall until the bitter weather passes. Try as best you can not to let the wire brush of doubt scrape from your heart all sense of yourself and your hesitant light. If you remain generous, time will come good and you will find your feet on fresh pastures of promise where the air will be kind and blushed with beginning. I hope and pray that all of us as preachers may be blushed with beginning each and every day. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.